Welcome to another episode of the Arch of Hanoa Now podcast. I am your host, Heath Armstrong. This is episode 74. Who would have known we could have got this far? I am so pumped to be here with you today, as I always am, fist pumping, breaking rules, pulling my pants down, running around outside like it's going out of style. Did that ever go out of style? I'm not really sure. But whoever you are, wherever you are at, I hope you are creating. I hope you are fist pumping. I hope you are giving high fives. I hope you are generally happy. I hope you're thankful for everything around you because every day is most certainly a bonus round. You know that. You need to slow down. You need to enjoy something beautiful. Just take it for what it is. Uh, You won't always have this chance. You will not always be breathing. So be thankful Tell everybody around you that, that, that you love being around them. I mean, reach out to your family and your friends that you haven't talked to. Make relationships strong like they should be. And thank you again for being here with me today for episode 74. I've got a brilliant guest on today, Tim Lewis. Uh, he kind of went through a tragedy with his wife and she got real sick. She ended up passing away and he kind of reevaluated everything that he was doing in life. And he he realized that he wasn't really doing exactly what he wanted to be doing. And it took him a couple years to ponder on it, but he eventually left his job and he went to start his own self-publishing company. He learned how to write the books that he really had been planning on writing for, for a long time. He just put pen to paper and he created this amazing trilogy, these novels. And I'm going to let him get into all of that when we start this show. But he, he's not only doing that. You know, he's looking at life, he's seeing the value in it, he he wants to do everything he can now, knowing that life isn't always going to be here, and it's such a powerful message. Uh, He started Stoneham Press Company, and other than writing writing the books, which which are called Time Shock, and I think the the first one's called I Want My Life Back, and then he has two more following it, so it's a trilogy, he's creating software and diddling around and trying to learn... Uh, how to create these tools that are really going to help other people that want to self-publish or other people that want to be able to download eBooks and transfer them to their reading devices automatically. So he's solving problems. He's doing things that are really interesting to him. And he's in the middle of just like the battle, just like me and you. He's trying to get there. And, And I love, love, love the interview. I'm so pumped that I had Tim on. Before I start, I wanted to read an interview that I had on or a review that somebody left me on iTunes This one came by Marina Burke. And Marina, thank you so much for leaving this. But it says, Love the amazing people interviewed in their wild, awesome, passionate lives. Really puts you in a great mood and conquer all mindset. Also, it's great for people like me who are easily distracted because he always keeps you on your toes with the weird comments and voices. (laughs) Yes, I absolutely do because I love boys and I love girls and I love everything around me. (laughs) Marina, thank you so much for leaving that review. You have no idea how much it helps me uh, stay up in in the iTunes charts. It helps spread this show to further audiences to try to help people create the life they love. You are playing a staple in that. So thank you once again. You're awesome. Let's fist pump. I want to buy you pizza or something. So get a hold of me. And... Anybody else out there who wants to get on iTunes and leave me a review, for the next few weeks, I'm opening up 
uh, free Skype sessions with with anybody who who wants to trade it out. So if you get on there and you leave me a review and your thoughts and you tell me what you think, and then you send that review, take a screenshot or something or type it out uh, because iTunes doesn't give me your information. Send that review to my email at create at artsynow.com so I know it was you. And I will be 100% open and just happy, honestly, just happy to, to connect with you on Skype for 20 minutes. We can talk about whatever you want. Anything that you want, we can talk about it from fist pumping to tipping cows to eating psychedelics in high school to how to start your podcast, the steps to take, all the things that I did when I started mine and and how I found this success that I did, how to start your website. I'd be happy to walk you through that. Tell you what I think about your certain website if you want. Give you my opinion on anything. I mean, we can talk about whatever you want. Baseball, we can talk about tennis. We can talk about, I mean... (laughs) I don't know anything about tennis, but bring it on. I always want to learn. So yes, leave me a review. Send me an email with it, and we can set up a time on Skype to talk or Google Hangouts, whatever works for you. And everybody out there that has already left me reviews, like Marina, thank you so much. It continues to drive me. It makes me fist pop, and I get a little crazy. I really do. And I just like it's so exciting to me that people are out there listening to everything I say, and I'm just... So pumped to be a part of this. So, without further ado, we'll get right into this next interview with the big, great Tim Lewis. All the show notes, artsynow.com forward slash 74. And come on, everybody, let me hear that beat. Come on, come on, everybody, let me hear that stinky stinky rickety dickety beat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, here we go now. Who wants to get a little bit funky out there? Who wants to get a little creative out there, huh? Yeah. Which one of you wants to get a little bit artsy now? Well, I do. I do. get on with your bad selves, yeah. If your stinky little ears hang low, you better wobble them straight to the front because my guest today is providing services and tools to publish authors to allow them to publish, market, and manage their publications more successfully. He's the founder of Stoneham Press and the author of Time Shock, I Want My Life Back. All the way from across the pond in London, a skittamarinkity dinkity dink, a skittamarinkity doo Tim Lewis, yoo are the entrepreneur now. What is going on, man? Hey, Heath. Yeah, things are going great at the moment. I do love your intros, as I've said before. I think yeah, they're just amazing. <laughs> Yeah, they, they, they bring the energy. I, I don't like when I look at the stats and somebody is playing through all the intros and not the whole episode, then I'm like, well, maybe I should just do the entire episode like that, right? Maybe you should do some sort of mashup album of all your intros <laughs> and then sell it online. That's that would, probably what you want to do. That would be a funny idea, man. Uh, <laughs> actually, that's pretty genius, actually. Maybe I'll just... Maybe I'll just do an entire mashup and then play it on every intro and exit, and then we can just fist pump all day. day. (laughs) 
Yeah, just get rid of all the rest of the episodes. Just <laughs> just the intros. That's what you want to do. Yeah. I've actually been thinking about doing like a a live like a internet TV station. So where where everything's video broadcasted and and I think that would be pretty cool to transition the show in that direction. Um and literally, instead of doing a podcast style where it releases later, literally just doing everything live and getting live viewers on there, I think that would be super fun to do. I mean, if you were on the show, would you prefer something like that? Just just asking face-to-face, or not, I guess not face-to-face, uh, computer face-to-face. Um, personally, I prefer the uh, anonymity of sound and also... Um, I'm not sure I necessarily want to see you with your pants down, <laughs> which I know is one of your predilections from listening to your show. So, ah, uh, uh, touche. I think uh, um, personally, I think video and audio are more separate than people think. Because I, I mean, I've watched YouTube videos and I listen to huge amounts of podcasts. Yeah. I listen to like thirty odd weekly, uh, once a week, um, and. You find with the podcasts where they try and do a bit of video and a bit of sound, uh, sometimes they lose stuff. I mean, I remember listening to a podcast a couple of weeks ago, and they were doing it as a video, like a Google Hangout. And then they were talking, this guy was demonstrating these exercises on the video thing. And on the sound version, it was like, well, it was just, in the end, I just stopped. It was like, and they're saying, oh, yes, that's a great exercise you're doing. It's like raising his hand up or whatever on the video, but I couldn't see that because it was on the audio. <laughs> so you do need to be careful with like mixing video and audio. Yeah, that's true. What I would probably do is just literally the interview live and then as a podcast, I would still pull it, edit it, and, and press it just like a podcast episode and release it onto iTunes so it wouldn't really change the structure. But I would definitely take all that into account because I know exactly what you're talking about uh, when you're listening, and it's like, what are you looking at? <laughs> yeah, it's like here's a picture, and it's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, so cool, well, Tim. Man, I'm, I'm pumped to have you on. Like, you have such a brilliant uh, story, and I think that you're going to relate hardcore with just people all over the place. Um, you you obviously went through a very hard time where you lost your wife to a a stroke and and she was disabled for a while and, and you've kind of taken a transition where you looked at life and, and said, okay, well, this isn't exactly everything that I wanted. And you, and you started, you got into this Amazon thing and realized that you can, you can write books, right. And you can self publish, you can share your story, but you also left your job. And even though it took you a while to do that, you decided that was the right thing to do. And your book, obviously, uh, one time shock. I want my life back, and I think you're working on a couple other things. And then you've opened up Stoneham Press to help other people figure out how to do this same kind of thing. So I'm honored to have you on. And if you want to start, Tim, you want to give me a Heidi Ho or something, we can go back to the Mister Hanky uh, <laughs> Christmas poo days, since it is kind of that time of the year. But uh, just I, I would love I'd love to know your your sort of background story and kind of what your mindset shift was from when you actually used to work every day to, to the accident and everything happening and, and how it all changed from there um, t- to get you to the point where you're at now and, and, and how, how different your life is now than it was then. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I went through kind of what a lot of people that you will find on the new internet economy have done. They've made the realization that life is for, is, is for living basically. Mm-hmm. Now, with myself, I was um, I was working a, a, like a corporate job. Um, I was a head of a a team of IT developers on a big financial system, 
and used to go into work every day, sit down, get fat, drink a lot of coffee, go home. Uh, I was happily married to my wife, Rachel. Uh, we got married in 2007, bought a house and moved in 2007. Um, then one day in 2009, um, basically I was, I was going to meet Rachel at, um, at the station and we were going to go home. And I met her, and she was at that point having a stroke, so basically the side of her face. And we called the ambulance and got her to hospital. Uh, but that night was one of those nights where you think basically your whole life just changes completely. Because she, she was basically in a coma for two weeks. She wasn't, um, at the time we were told that she wasn't, com- there was a possibility she was going to be locked in, like where she wasn't going to be able to move or do anything at all. Uh, and then gradually over the next year, she recovered a certain amount, but she was still paralyzed on the left-hand side and wheelchair-bound. Um, we, by the basically the force of her will and encouragement for me, she managed to be able to become able to talk again, and eventually we got her home. Um, and then she spent about a year at home, uh, and I was caring for her with outside assistance. This is one of the few places where I think you're actually better off being in the UK than in the US because socialised medicine makes a fantastic difference in the case where somebody has one of these incidents. There are many other great things that I love about the US, but in that case, I was just glad to be in the UK because once you you find out how much care for people like this costs, you, you realise that. So if, there, if this had happened to me in the US, I would have been basically bankrupted. I would have been totally... But because it's in the UK and we've got the NHS, that I made mean, a It's 100% decision. true because my, my aunt actually has uh, ALS and that's that's exactly what has happened. I mean, to her and, and her children, they literally had to trade their house and everything just to yeah. get her care. And it's 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 a terrible system. I mean, it's it's horrible. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean there's only so far that insurance will go with these things. I mean, um, the, uh, I mean, the actual stroke did not kill Rachel. The, the initial stroke was caused by the fact that she she had PKD, which is polycystic polykidney uh, poly polycystic kidney disease. I get that, and you probably want to edit that bit out. Anything. Um, and that, that is a, that's a genetic kidney disorder, which is actually extremely common, but usually ends up with people having, needing dialysis in their like 50s or 60s. But in this particular, it does make you more, uh, uh, sort of more likely to have strokes. Um, and that's why she had the stroke in the first place. But because of the, all the stress of the stroke, it basically gradually killed her kidneys off to the point where even dialysis wasn't an option. So she died of kidney failure in in 2011. Now, during that period when I was caring for Rachel, I, it obviously changed my view of the world in as much as you, you, you see like it's just so easy to drift and keep, keep your life and just keep the same thing and do the same career path and go up and think you know where you're doing. And that's just because it's mentally the easiest thing to do. But when something like this, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you just get into that comfort zone and things start to fly by. Exactly. And you're, you're, and we all do it because all our friends and all other people we know all like get a job, get a house, move on, have kids, doing the rest of it. 
Um, I didn't get to do the get kids bit. Um, but, yeah, it gave me time to think about things. And even though, in many ways, caring for somebody like that, you think, oh, it's going to be dreadfully depressing and all the rest of it. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It was because you realise the things that are important, which is connections with people. And, and it's enjoying the moment as much as you can. And obviously, if you're um, in a position where you're like being attacked by animals every five minutes of the day, then that's, that's not a good position to be in. But you have yeah. to make the most of the situation you're in and try and like live life. And most people have so many opportunities now with the internet that they're just not even, loads of people just not aware that they're available. If you can, if you can sing or write or or even talk, there are like opportunities for publishing on Amazon or selling your music online or even doing a podcast. I mean, there's so many ways that people can make opportunities out of their own interests and things without having to go down the corporate route. That I saw this when I was looking after Rachel. Now. At the time, I, I didn't really feel able to kind of give up the job and do everything because I had a dependent. And um, in terms of somebody who I knew at some point that uh, even with the NHS system, you get to where you do have to fund a large amount of the cost yourself. So I was kind of building up money and things for that point. I wasn't even thinking about leaving job while Rachel was still alive. But after she died, I was, I was suddenly confronted with the thought that, yes, I do want to do something different with my life. Um, now, like most people, there's a difference between having an idea and actually executing it. And it took me two years, basically, to, to make that, that leap. I was always thinking about like giving my notice in and doing something different. Um, I was originally thinking of just doing like IT contract work instead, which is kind of a step in the right direction, but wasn't really my heart of hearts what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something creative and something different with my life, but I wasn't quite sure what to do in that period. Um, so I was kind of like doing like, I'm sure there's a lot of your listeners who have done this, and maybe there are people who are still doing this, where they've got a, like a resignation letter they keep in their pocket and they take it in and then they don't give it in they they sort of and I did that a few times um and it it was basically to begin with uh, the boss I had at the time was a great bloke and he'd been very uh very good to me while while Rachel was ill and I kind of felt loyalty to him for a while so I made that excuse of like oh I don't want to inconvenience him by going and then they they made him redundant uh and I got a and for a while, I was I was kind of promoted up, sort of to this other position. And I was thinking at the time, it's like I don't really want to do this job. Yeah. This was what I thought I always wanted to do. Um, and then after that, I was sort of demoted again, and this other guy from a totally different department came in, um, who I didn't personally get on that well with. He wasn't a particularly bad guy, but. Um, and then I was thinking, well, I'm defending the team from, from his influence. And you make excuses in your head as to why you're not going to make that leap. Um, but eventually, one day, it was like when I've been at the company 15 years, and that even 
that nowadays is pretty rare that somebody stays at the same company for 15 years. Um, yeah, uh, for a what chunk. I know. Um, and I just thought, right, this is the day I'm going to kind of resign. So I did. Um, what did that feel like? It was bizarre. Once I'd done it, I felt totally kind of relieved. You, you think, oh, it's going to be sort of oh, worried. I mean, I can imagine if, if you've got sort of a very expensive car and a house with massive mortgage payments and a very sort of a, a wife who likes gold bars in, in her bath <laughs> every morning, yeah. then it might be different. But for me, it's like I, I didn't really have much in the way of debt. Um, I was fairly comfortable. I had a house. Um, so, yeah, it, I, it was just the relief, the relief of not having to have this dreadful, oh, I've got the letter in my pocket. Shall I give it in? Shall I won't give it in? It's always far better to just do things than to worry about should you do something. Um, that's one of the lessons I've learned, even though even now I don't apply it. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking of doing a podcast, but have I got around to doing it? I'm still a bit like, hmm, I'm sure once I'll do it, I'll be happy about it. But <laughs> you it's should, often, absolutely. Yeah, the anxiety of worrying about things is often worse than the actual doing of the situation. Yeah, I think you just have to start before you're ready with anything. Yeah. I mean, I still do it. Like when I started this podcast, it wasn't in my plans at all. I literally made the decision on a whim, like literally within like five seconds was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then I just started reaching out to people. And once that first person says, yeah, I'll be on the show, then you got to do it. And, you know, you don't want to let people down. So, and, and then it turns out to be like, wow, this is awesome. This is, this is so much more than I thought it would be. And all it, and really not, not, I should not be scared at all to do something like this. And I think people look at everything like that. I mean, th there's just too many, too many excuses to not do something because you're in a comfort zone. So when we, when I get to talk to people like you who went through that transition uh, from, from having the job and, and making those excuses to actually finally, you know, after two years and carrying around that, like, you know, resignation letter in your pocket and making the transition. It's so, it's so awesome to hear. Cause I mean, it is, it is completely possible, man. And you're, you're living proof of that. Yeah, well, I mean, it still took me another seven months to get out of corporate after that. And that's because I worked my three months' notice. But the company I was working for at the time was having to put up with um, implementing some of the US legislation about financial, um, some of the credit crunch stuff. And yeah. because mainly of their slackness and their problems, they were like, oh, do you want to work for us part-time uh, for a few months to help it and I was like okay I'll take the cash <laughs> yeah. so I, I got a, I worked for three days a week for four months uh, after I finished my notice period which was actually pretty a pretty good idea um, because that's in that period I actually formulated that I wanted to start writing um, um, books and things specifically fiction uh, I read a book uh, during that time around December 2013 called Write, Publish, Repeat. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of that. It's by uh, Sean Platt, um, Johnny B. True, and, and David Wright. I have not, like, but I'll put a link into the show notes that will be at artsynow.com forward slash Tim Lewis. Yeah, I mean, 
that book um, is it's made a real bit. The 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 background behind what what might publish repeat is about is that those guys are free self published authors who have they're they're from a variety. They're, two of them are from a marketing background, uh, and one of them's more of a kind of a, a literary writer, a cartoonist. Uh, and they've they've set up quite. They, they're the people who run the self publishing podcast. Um, but that book describes how they run a, a self-published uh, fiction business, um, and it's it's a very long book, but it's very it's a very well written, and uh, and that that flipped a switch in my mind that said you can actually make money from writing fiction. I had I, I'd thought about self-publishing before, but I'd thought of it almost as like a hobby kind of thing. Um, I hadn't really appreciated that in 2011 the Kindle Direct Publishing, the KDP system, had made it so that basically anybody could, certainly for ebooks, anybody can publish an ebook on Amazon. Yeah. Now, these guys know uh, basically tell you how to properly do that. You don't want to just knock off some Word document and shove it onto Amazon, which is what a lot of people did in 2011 and 12. And some people made money doing that. You you do have to go through an editing process, and you have to look at all that, listen to the podcasts, read the books, learn the resources, um, and certainly an awful lot about mar- what you would call basic marketing in that in that book. So I heartily recommend that because it, it changed me from thinking, oh, I'll do IT contracting to, no, I'll, I'll give it a go at trying to actually write some fiction. So that was the thing that spurred me on to write those free Time Shock novellas. Um, so I actually wrote the Time Shock, I Want My Life book, uh, back book in, um, in that period when I was working three days a week in the, the other two days. Um, I, I adopted their approach to writing, which is good as well, which is you plan out your novel or your book, and then you just write as fast as possible to that plan. And that really helped me actually finish finish it. Because I tried to write novels and things in the past. But the, but the problem is, and I know a lot, there is the whole pantser, seat of the pants writing versus planning discussion amongst writers. But I'd always try to just pants it, write it, write it down, and then you just get stuck and you just give up and you just have a half-finished novel on your hard drive for like 10 years. I think I've still got some from about 10 years ago. <laughs> and uh, you get to like about 10, 15,000 words and then you just kind of get stuck and you give up and you wouldn't do it. With this approach, you write a plan out for your novel, or as it, in my case, they turned out to be novellas, um, which is about 20,000 words. And then you just, once you've got that plan of the whole storyline, then you just write as fast as possible and you just try and get. And I was getting up to reasonable sort of, I could write about 2,000 words an hour at that time. Um, I've never actually been that productive since. But at that time, I, I had a few days when I managed to write between six and 8,000 words. Um, so I actually wrote the first book in like about a week. Um, the thing that takes more time than that is all the editing and you you have to go through i think the rule of thumb with editing or anything certainly if you're not i mean i i i made use of my mum who used to be an editor 
like in the 1960s. But certainly if you're, if you're going to release something and you're not going to pay for editing services, which I would strongly discourage, I think people should at the very least pay for some kind of proofreading services. Yeah. Um, but I think what all authors should do is get somebody else to read it and then use some software to read it out, read out the whole novel to them because you just you get so much by just listening to what the uh, you can find out typos and also you write you see something you you can even read it but you do not necessarily understand what the context of what it just sounds odd when you actually hear it out, out aloud so i'd recommend using some natural uh, some sort i think it's called naturally speaking I'll, I'll send you the link afterwards but there's some free software for reading out basically text on a pc or a mac so yeah, cool. I'd like to see that. I, I mean, I'm in a position myself where I would love to start writing and not necessarily novels, um, but I think that w- w- it's something that I thoroughly enjoy and that I could see myself doing long term. And and it's one of those things that really can create, I don't want to really call it like a true passive income, although that does work, but more of like a, a passive like authority for your life. I feel like when you write something, then you're known for it, sort of like making a podcast. But once you establish that authority, I mean, the opportunities just, just start flinging open. And, and it's kind of amazing when people start reading what you're writing, even with the blog post, and then you start connecting with them and, and you learn, you know, valuable information about people, like their troubles and what they're actually struggling with. And then you can help them. And and it's like one thing leads to another and, opportunity is insane i mean it just busts open and i I, i'm pumped that you had the opportunity to do this because you've actually moved into stoneham press also right and you're and you figured out a way like you can actually help people uh with with publishing their first books and and sort of like i I don't know would you go as far as calling it consulting at all well at the moment that's that that's the big area of my business i'm going to uh, develop in 2015 um, at the moment, to say my consulting side is fairly minimal is probably an overstatement. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm, what I've been, uh, there are several areas I'm going to look to do in that. I, I've been working on a blog called uh, Social Media for Indie Authors, um, which is basically going to describe how to do social media marketing for um, for indie authors. So things like Facebook advertising and. Mm-hmm. And Twitter and all the rest of it. I mean, there is a there is a way to do social media, which I think, and I'm not going to pass myself off as the world's best social media uh, expert, but I am very interested in the area, and I think interest is always a good way to uh, kind of start with these things. Um, so I'm looking to move into that area. I am also looking into writing apps as well. I know this is one of your great uh, kind from listening to your previous podcasts. I know that you've certainly flirted with app development. Yeah, um, I was actually uh, just open uh, Game Salad last night, which is a really cool program that you can make like two D games really easily. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean this and this is the thing that people don't appreciate about app development. There are a whole shed load of um, tools which. I wouldn't necessarily say anybody can use, but I think if you've got some kind of predilection for coding, um, the, the the software I'm using is something called Xamarin, which mm-hmm. is more of a technical product. It's 
is a product that um, allows you to write um, apps that work on Android, um, iOS, and on Windows Phone, all from just the same code. Um, it's quite expensive, but that, that's why I'm looking at. I'm going to start looking at writing some actual apps to help self-published authors. Um, so things like managing the Amazon kind of um, interface and sales and marshalling review information. I've got quite a few ideas that I'm going to look to do this year for that. How um, awesome. <laughs> well, it's I mean, this... like I'm starting to piece everything together that you're doing and, it, and it's brilliant. I mean, you're, you're definitely making the moves in the right areas. And I don't know, have you ever heard of Amber Ludwig? No, I haven't, sadly. <laughs> you, you would probably, she she's brilliant. And I actually had her on my show, her episode uh, I think, oh man, I want to say it's somewhere in the mid-70s. As we're listening to this right now, it's not published yet, but it will be by the time this is live. But Amber is an expert with bringing uh, authors to bestseller status on Amazon. Yeah. And she was the actual first person that I ever reached out to before I started anything, and she was the one who kind of said, you know, she gave me the confidence to go out and do these things on the side away from my, you know, my fear that I couldn't do them. And she's just amazing. I think she recently got married and her last name has altered a little bit, but uh, no glut, no guts, no glory is her company. And you can get it at amberludwig.com, but she's got this system. She's, she's done it with, I think 13 or 14 campaigns now in a row to get somebody to bestseller status. And she's a hundred percent on it. Like a hundred percent. She's never failed at it. So it's, it's amazing. Like it's completely possible to do it. And once you do that, I mean that's huge for your career. You can put that on your resume or your title, and and it's massive, man. Like so, you could you might you might check into her too and follow her because she's she does all sorts of YouTube content and stuff on her website that helps people uh, that are doing the things just like you're doing. And you might be able to spark some more ideas out of it. Yeah, well one of, one of the things that I'm going to have another go at this year. I'm I'm in the I'm very near to publishing my first, well, I wouldn't say full length because it's full length for young adult, which is my first full length nod, uh, novel um, in, a, in a few weeks' time, which is going to be in the fantasy genre rather than science fiction. Um, but uh, one of the things I'm going to do, I'm going to have a look at, which I kind of feel should work, but my previous efforts haven't been successful, is YouTube advertising. Yeah. Now, that might sound bizarre and everybody's like well that's really expensive but actually youtube advertising is pretty cheap you can pay like five cents and then five cents per view and you can target individual youtube videos so say you've got some if you've got i mean this works better for non-fiction but say you've got some book about running around and you leave your pants down in somewhere in the u.s <laughs> which you're the world authority on don't tell everybody my book yeah. coming out, man. It's still a secret. Then you can go to all the videos about it by the whole running around with your pants down community and pay for YouTube ads with a video of you running around with your pants down with a link to your your book or product <laughs> at the start of it. And then people click on that and you you know, like I think you pay per click. I I'm not sure if it's pay per click or pay per view. I think you can set it up either way. You can way. do both, I think. Yeah. And then if they click on it, it takes them to your website and you've spent five cents. And if you've got a reasonably high-value book or product, then that's that's worth doing because there's something different about video. Video is so much more connecting than um, even audio. I mean, audio is a different kind of medium, but 
compared to like buying ads on a on a site i mean that's that's quite competitive i mean i've tried google ads and things like that as well but you just don't get you just don't get the uh the click-through rates on that yeah. anymore. That's neat. I mean, I never, I've never tried to do anything with YouTube advertising, nor have I really utilized their platform. But podcasts that I've listened to and and people talking about the power of using, you know, YouTube advertising, and and if you are using it, how it can totally boost your website presence because it's Google, and Google likes when you spend money with them. But if you can target, you know, the community of videos, you, you already know you're hitting the audience of people that are watching videos. So they're going to watch your video most likely if they're targeted. And when they watch well, no, something, it's visual. You know what I mean? So, Well, this is what I'm, what I'm not saying is not, not advertising to go to your YouTube videos. The, you know, if you go on a YouTube video and sometimes it has an ad and it's usually some, well, with me, it always seems to be some bloke throwing a pizza around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are the ads I'm talking about. So those three-minute clips at the beginning – so most videos on YouTube <laughs> allow you to uh, – they, they, they stick an advert at the front. You can actually buy that advert for like five cents a click. Yeah, yeah. It, does it work through – it works through AdSense, right? Yeah, it's through AdSense as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, but I'm not – I've tried that, and I haven't had much success with it so far. So I'm not sure if I'm just – if it's just my idea just doesn't work. But I, yeah. I think there must be a market – I've had more success with Facebook advertising than with YouTube advertising, to be honest. I think that uh, works. I mean, it just depends on what you're doing in particular. I've heard people say both ways. I mean, I I had a couple of videos on YouTube that got to the sh- threshold back when I was younger. You know, just stupid videos I posted that you know over a couple of weeks was it were you know thirty five thousand, forty thousand views, and now. It's like to try to get to a threshold like that. It's like near impossible. It seems like I can yeah, post well, a video and you get like you know thirty viewers. It's like holy hell. Well, every everything on the internet's becoming more competitive and more professional, and that's that's something we just have to. I mean, that's something you want to see. You don't want to see just YouTube's full of people. That's throwing true. a pizza around or whatever. Yeah, uh, start a person cats falling over. You, you actually, I think YouTube is gradually becoming almost like the new television network. So, I mean, it's not quite there yet. But sometimes with my TV, I've got like an option to go onto YouTube, and I might watch a Seth Godin video or something about Xamarin or some IT one. And it's almost getting to the point where YouTube is beginning to take over from the television thing. And I've, I've, my only – something I would really like to happen is for there to be the same platform for self-publishing on television as there is for uh, literature. So you've got KDP and Kobo and all the other sources for literature, but there isn't really a, a way of – well, you would say that YouTube is, but YouTube, you can't say, I want to sell my video on YouTube for like $10. It, you can monetize and put ads on it, but there isn't a like, a, I, wonder, I really would like them to introduce a paid kind of TV style fiction thing. So you could write your own screenplays, get them produced and then publish that. That would be something that I would like to get into. Um, That'd be awesome. Yeah, but that platform just doesn't exist. And I'm wondering if Amazon Prime is going to end up that way. I really hope that they they introduce a self-publishing option on that. If that was my wish list for 2015, 16, I'd like them to have kind of Amazon. So you could 
basically self-published stuff on Amazon Prime or even on Netflix. Either of those platforms would just be brilliant, but I I don't know if that's going to happen. Surely, I mean, I feel like it's going to have to happen. I mean, with everything else and the way the technology is going, that could be huge. And the first person that does it, yeah, Amazon Prime would be would be money in the bank. I think that oh, would be yeah. very interesting to see how that went down, and it'd be oh man, it'd be a lot of fun too, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, because I I used to be really interested in before I got into uh, writing novels, I was very interested in screenplay writing, and still actually I probably would prefer to write screenplay over novels, um, but. The trouble is the screenplay market is just like publishing used to be like 10, 15 years ago. There was just, you have to go to an agent, you have to get it submitted to things, and it, it's just not something I want to get involved with at the moment. So I'd rather be, I'd rather prefer to just be able to self-fund and self-publish writing a film or a short TV series myself and then self-publish it on Prime or Netflix. Yeah. That would be the way to go, but at the moment it's just not possible. I'm I'm sure that it probably will happen eventually. What What are some in your journey of learning how to self publish and and doing all this and building up this campaign to teach others how to do it? What are some things that you've learned? You know, some of the most important things you've learned about self publishing. Um. Well, the, the, one of the main things is that there are an awful lot of sharks and other people out there, um, and then. A very good um, blog to for writers to read is something called Writer Beware. Um, I, I haven't got the link on me, but I'll, I'll send it to you afterwards if you remind me. Um, and there's also a guy in Europe called David Gochran who's who's published a book called uh, Let's Get Visible. And he rails against, because there's a lot of the big publishing companies have got almost vanity press kind of services that they offer self-published authors and all it ends up with is self-published authors using these vanity presses and spending like thousands of dollars um the most famous of which is called author solutions and um and they're just not getting the value for money they would if they did it themselves i think the biggest thing about self-publishing is to reach out to listen to like the self-publishing podcast and there's various other podcasts out there if you like search on iTunes, you find them. Um, read as many books as you can. And there's a lot of very good cheap books about self-publishing. Um, and just generally do the homework beforehand. Um, I mean, that's what I did. I, I started writing, obviously. You can start writing and doing the work. But in, before you actually go on to start submitting it to KDP, do make the effort and sort of listen to the community and find out what's worth uh, worth investing in what's not worth investing in I would say a cover and editing are the two things that are worth investing in um, don't unless you're particularly artistic don't try and do the cover yourself get somebody else to do it <laughs> yeah uh, I mean there's I mean, so many I, brilliant things like Fiverr out there where you can pay five dollars and have a cover done and they're usually pretty nice yeah I mean I, it depends on the on the book. I would say you probably would want to use something better than Fiverr. Though what you could do is is just pay quite a few people on Fiverr to get like get five Fiverr covers done and then pick yeah. the best one. What I um, usually will do is is it, I'll rack it up to about thirty five forty dollars, but I'll find a graphic designer, someone that I really like on Fiverr that I've used for cheap, 
and then offer them the project saying, hey, you know, I want a couple different versions of this and I want to pick the best one and I'll give you this much money. And, and it usually is still really cost effective to do it that way. Yeah, well, what I did is I paid um, a quite an expensive um, designer called Demonza, demonza.com in South Africa, but he had pre-designed covers um, and I bought one of his pre-designed covers, which was cheaper. Uh, it wasn't that cheap, but <laughs> about $200. But then I've used the same cover with just uh, for all the three novellas I've written in the Time Shock series. So I basically just used Photoshop and then changed the first cover um, for the other two. But I did ask the designer on the first novel to give me one copy with the title on of the book and then one without so that I could actually do that because what you don't want to be having to do is having to remove a title on Photoshop and then put a new one on top of it. So I had like a blank canvas one I could then use filters on on Photoshop to change, to create the other two covers. So you basically spend money on one cover and then if you've got a series of books, you can, yeah, just, you can just keep reusing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that's a good approach if you're a beginner because I think in certainly fiction, you want to be writing series, if you can, series of books because... I, I, I personally don't think, even if you write in the same genre, I doubt if you'll get that many people going from one book to the next unless they're in a series. So, I mean, I know there's a, there is a big debate in the self-publishing world about whether you should stick to one genre and just write that all of the time. And I think, I think if you're very passionate about that genre and that's all you want to write about is like robot erotica or something like that. <laughs> if you want to write about that category and that's what you're passionate about, then you can probably get a big following of people. But with most writers, even if they're in one category, it's like romance or whatever, you're only going to get the read-through rates if your book is one in, the, in a series that are joined together. So I, I, I know cliffhangers aren't necessarily popular, but if you've got one book that ends in a cliffhanger and then the next book in the series ends in a cliffhanger, you're going to get a lot more sales through uh, and uh, readership than if you, if you just do like books that are all totally different and un unrelated. So it's one of my top tips. So what does it feel like when you get a book out there and you finally get a sale or somebody first downloads it? It's, it's, it's really great. And you also notice that people start treating you differently yeah. when you say, oh, you've got a book on Amazon. I mean, I've never actually – the book I'm, I'm doing at the moment, I'm going to be doing in a few weeks, will be the first one that I'm going to actually do a paper version of. Um, I mean, one, there, is a, there is an issue with short books on Amazon, which is to do with the royalty structure. And this is something that, if I was doing it again, I would probably write longer books to start with. Um, I mean, I don't know if you're aware, but on Amazon, if you sell a book for less than $299, you only get 35% royalties. If you sell it above $299, it's 70% royalties. Now, that's... That's all great. So all of my first book is free. So the time shop, I want my life back. You can go onto Amazon and you can. It's under my full name, Timothy Michael Lewis. Um, you can you can download that for free. But the later two books, I put as two ninety nine because I want the seventy percent royalty. If it was up to me, they would be cheaper. But I'm not going to go to like one ninety nine and then yeah, and get lose less money. I know. <laughs> That's and kind that, of weird. I know. It's it is so. Uh, I think the reason historically for that is because Amazon 
Amazon have got this whole, they've got the whole 3G network called WhisperNet, um, which was when they originally had the Kindle devices, there wasn't Wi-Fi on all the rest of it. So they, they set up their own in mobile network globally to allow people to download things onto the, uh, onto the Kindle device. But the problem with that is that it costs money for them to put their, push a book onto a Kindle device. So they wanted to discourage people from doing short books. So that's why they introduced the 35% royalty thing for short thing. But it's, it's really quite annoying because I think it's, it's stunting people from writing novellas because yeah, if you put it on for 99 cents, you're going to get 30 cents. And it's yeah. kind of like if you've got 70 cents, and that makes more sense. No pun intended, right? I know, yeah. So I was thinking, how many times can I say sense in a sentence? <laughs> well, one of the the book that that I really, really stand behind for becoming kind of an expert and building a following in in um, an independent publishing area would be I don't know. Have you ever heard of Nathan Barry? No, I haven't. Well, he he wrote a book called Authority, and he's a guy who's always been sort of a design guy for app development, so you might actually be interested in him as well. Uh, but but he's a brilliant guy, and he, he literally makes everything so simple and straightforward that I love it. It's so clean, but he wrote a book called Authority, and I got that right when it came out and read through it really quickly. And and it, it's literally you know how how not to be that kind of poor starving author and, and can, yeah. you can consistently establish a writing habit, how to implement it, you know, in, in the market and replace the traditional publishing method is with, with the online and digital ones that take far less time and really how to position yourself as an authority in that field that you want to write about. So I highly suggest people check that out too, because it's a quick read and it's, it's brilliant. Well, certainly, I mean, I think for nonfiction, um, you almost, you're almost foolish not to have a self-published book of some variety, especially if you're in some niche area. So if you are the world's expert on running around without your pants on, then uh, <laughs> then you can be- then become known as Heath Armstrong, the world expert on that, because of your book, 100 Ways to Run Around Without Your Pants On. <laughs> and then you instantly become an authority figure. And then you start getting invited onto other podcasts and all the rest of it, because you've got a book out there. Um, I think it. I think people are worried about publishing stuff on Amazon because of bad reviews and people not liking it. But the way I think about Amazon and these things, if you have a, something that you could publish on Amazon that somebody in the world will like, even if everybody else hates it, then I think you should publish it. Yeah. Because it's about making people happy. It's the five star reviews and the four star reviews that matters, not the one star reviews. Yeah, what's I the mean, worst thing it, that's going to happen? You, I mean, there's going to be criticism everywhere, so you can build yeah. and learn from all of it. Well, exactly. So, I mean, that's the way you need to think about it. It's like if you're sitting with your manuscript that you've had in your drawer for three years and you tried submitting it to publishers, or maybe you didn't because so, you thought it wasn't good enough or. Then think about. Don't think about it. Oh, it's not good enough. Think about all the people who who could enjoy that, but you're just keeping it. You're just holding your your great work to yourself. Maybe just get it out there. If you're worried about it being having typos, then pay somebody to proofread it, and then then put it on Amazon. And it, with eBooks, if it's if it's got massive problems in it, you can just take it down or you can change it and edit it. It's not like oh, a it's paper great. book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. I would suggest that people who are worried about that 
publish it as an ebook on Amazon and leave it for a while and see what the reviews and other stuff is like. If it's loads of reviews saying that you've got loads of typos and other stuff in it, then fix that before you do the paper copy. Or, or more properly, just pay for the proofreading and editing beforehand, put it up there, and then do it as paper at the same time. I mean, I think people use it, I think there are more excuses for people not publishing their books, which are caused by their own insecurities, rather than actual, oh, it's not, it's not the good enough level, it needs more work. It's the same as with like making that break into leaving your job. It's just, you've just got to jump over that hurdle as best you can. I know it's not easy, but it's just worth doing because you've only got so long on earth, so you might as well make the most of it. Beautiful. 100%, man. And I, I, I love that quote to kind of wean into this this amazing question that I like to, to bomb every guest on the show with. Uh, but if you had to battle Godzilla, Tim, how do you think you would use your creativity or your talents or your life experience to defeat that big, crazy bastard. Well, I gave this some thought, and I've, it's not necessarily in the most creative way, but I'd use the power of the internet to try and um, stop Godzilla. What I'd do is I'd look up the world's most foremost expert on Godzilla, probably somebody in Japan, say, Mr. Mr. Honda, <laughs> and I'd get on a Skype call with him and ask him, like, so when you defeated Godzilla before, or you didn't defeat it, what did you do? And he'd probably say, suggest some sort of weapon. And then I'd go on to Alibaba.com and get some company in, in, in China to mass produce these, this gun or device to kill Godzilla. And then I'd go and confront Godzilla and then shoot him with this, this manufactured gun that I got from the US, uh, from China. <laughs> you can do anything on the internet, right? Well, exactly. And the, I mean, the internet has, I mean, there's probably a whole website like forums and things about how to defeat Godzilla. Um, and I'll probably go on to that and do a lot of research beforehand. I mean, it, it may be the case that actually Godzilla has he's really just got bad dental problems or something, and we could actually negotiate with him some sort of dental plan to correct that, and then we could go and set up a... I could write a book with Godzilla. But <laughs> I mean, it kind of it seems the defeat thing means we have to kill the poor guy, so... Uh, uh, that would be the uh, the first choice. <laughs> well, you know, he doesn't wear pants, so he's ahead of the game. Well, exactly, yeah. In fact, he'd probably like your new book coming out, so maybe we yeah. could uh, sell do, that to him. <laughs> why you should pull your pants down and attack life. <laughs> That'll be the title. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll put a picture of Mr. Hanky on there, and then people will start to really... <laughs> yes, hi to hell. But Tim, man, I'm pumped that we had this conversation. It's totally inspiring. And as I make one of my goals in 2015 to start a process of writing and self-publishing uh, alone and myself, I, I hope that we could be back in contact and I'm sure I could learn some things from you. And I'm looking forward to following you from here on out. Is there a place that our listeners can find you or, or get in contact with you? Um. I would say the best place, the place that I'm most likely to respond is on Twitter, like at Stone and Press. So that's Stone for Stone, Ham for Ham, part of a pig, and Press, as in like Press. So Stone and Press, at yeah. Stone and Press on Twitter. Or you can go to www.stoneandpress.com. Um, 
and uh, that's got links to my books and other things on Amazon. So if people are interested in that as well. Yeah, get on there and you get, he's got the free book on Amazon. So check that out. Yeah. I'll put all these in the show notes as well on uh, artsynow.com forward slash Tim Lewis. And that's Lewis with a W, so L-E-I-S, since there's yeah. so many different confusing types in the States over here. But Tim, man, do you have any favorite closing advice uh, or do you have any favorite resources or tools that you use that we haven't covered yet that you'd like to leave the listeners with or something that they can go check out before we say ta-ta? Um. I'm just going to pick something totally random. There's loads of kind of little apps and things that I've uh, I've, I've downloaded or played around with, but the best uh, the best recent one I have is there's something called um, Reflector by uh, which is a is basically something that will take your iPhone output and then record it as a video, and I've never ever seen anything like that. So you you set really? up on your yeah, you set up on your PC. It's something like Squirrel Soft or something ridiculous like that. Um, I'll send it to you so you can put in the show notes. But you can then record a video of everything you do on your iPhone or your iPad. Um, and I think I've just never seen that before. So it's just, it costs like twenty dollars or something like that. But you install it on your well, PC cool. or your Mac, and it will. You basically select the AirPlay option on your uh, on your iPhone or iPad. And it will record everything you do on that. So if you're doing a tutorial or something to do with apps and you want to show people how to do it, then you can use that software to record the, the output. Wow, that's awesome. And I've, I mean, I've used ScreenFlow for recording a screen on a computer, but never anything like that on a, a cell phone or a or a um, iPad. Cool, man. What was it called again? Um, let me uh, quickly do an on-air search. Check it out. Yeah. I mean, that's neat because if you're doing a, a tutorial on a phone or an iPad quickly, like that, that's, that's brilliant. Straight to the point. You don't have to take a bunch of screenshots, you know? I think. Yeah. www.airsquirrels.com slash reflector with an O. Can you spell out that whole domain? Well, air as in I. I oh, R, okay. yeah, and squirrels as in well those little furry things that run around. dot um, com and then reflector. They do other products as well, but that one's it's reflector AirPlay receiver mirror an iPhone or iPad to squirrels. Squirrels, air squirrels. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, your accent threw me off there. I thought you were saying like scribbles. So, yes, <laughs> air squirrels dot com. Yeah. Cool. Applications so, to go nuts for. So apparently they have a couple of different ones. A slingshot. Yeah. I'm not awesome. seeing the other ones, but yeah. No, I found, I can't remember. I found that out from somewhere. But yeah, I just, yeah, I've just never seen anything like that before. So very cool. Awesome. Well, Tim, man, I appreciate you being on the show so much. I, I'm pumped to have had you totally humbled. Your story is amazingly powerful. And I highly suggest everybody out there to get in touch with Tim if you're thinking about doing some self-publishing or, or taking that leap away from your job because it's it's a hard thing to do but once you do it i mean i'm sure the feeling is is so overwhelmingly fantastic uh and and like i was when you were talking about your job earlier tim and and how you stayed there for another seven months i bet your stress level is so much lower once you knew that you were out of there you know you're on your way out but you could still work um 
I guess I didn't ask you that earlier, but how did that feel in in the difference of like before you gave your resignation letter and after and still working there? Yeah, well, you, you just haven't got that anxiety that if you've got of thinking, oh, am I going to go? And it, it does, yeah. I mean, you, you know the end is in sight, basically. That's the thing. So, Not that I'm suggesting you've given your notice and everything today. But, but if you've got the... Uh, if you've got to the right place and you've got enough money and you you think you've got a good plan, then yeah, you should go for it. You should uh, resign today, yeah. <laughs> and then publish Quit your, your job now. <laughs> well, and then yeah. publish your book. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I was taking that was, a little extreme there. Yeah, I was looking at your uh, website and I've done three of the four things. The only one I haven't is build income creating. <laughs> I've yeah. quit my job. I've grown my creative network, uh, and live simply through passion. Um, I'm working on the building, come creating part at the moment. So uh, that's the hardest part. And I'm doing everything I can to sort of transition this website now to which artsynow.com to to more tutorials and, and valuable insights on how to do things, sort of like you grow social media and build your income and and things like that. So that's something that I'm going to be focusing on in 2015, and Everybody can get on there and check that out. There's actually a free ebook, which is just a compilation of all the different quotes and advice from about 50 different guests that I've had on this show. And uh, so, yeah, man, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a, it's been awesome, and I'm fist pumping for you. And I really hope that that everything just continues to flow your way. I know it will if you keep putting your foot forward. And everybody out there, do something crazy, do something creative. Take your pants off like Tim. No, not me, <laughs> just Tim. And uh, get a guy. Oh, yeah. Can't yeah. Stress. yeah, pants mean something quite different in the UK. So it's like, uh, it's more the undergarment <laughs> area. So I was speaking in the American terminology. I'm not, I'm not sort of half naked here. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what's really funny is I was talking to Paul Kemp and, you know, he does the App Guy podcast and he, was telling me the difference between suspenders, I think, in the United States and then in Europe. And yeah. I, was, I, I was like I, completely baffled to find out that suspenders here are actually basically like lingerie there. <laughs> yeah, well, I was and thinking so like, like what, the, what does he mean by that? I was just thinking of the lingerie. They, they sound a lot more interesting in Europe than in the US. It's just, I think, aren't these kind of like those straps people use for holding up their trousers in the US? Yeah, it's what something that guys wear. And then in the U, you know, in the UK, it's it's you just Google the difference and you'll see the difference. <laughs> Google suspenders Europe, suspenders UK, or suspenders United States, and it's like, well, I'd much rather look at the pictures in Europe. Well, yeah, you should come over here, <laughs> but don't wear suspenders. <laughs> yeah, obviously, <laughs> I don't know how good that would look. That no. probably freak some people out. But down in Miami, where I was for New Year's, that's pretty normal. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you can get away with anything in Miami, so it's like... Uh, yeah, true. All right, Tim, well, I appreciate it, man. I got to run, but uh, thank you so much for being the Archipreneur now. And always remember to keep it funky, man. Yeah, keep it funky, Heath. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Archipreneur Now. For all the show notes, it's artsynow.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, email me at create at artsynow.com 
or on Twitter at HB underscore Armstrong. The music? Well, that's shaky feeling. Check them out. Ventura, California. Ta-ta! Keep it funky.